everybody Mr. Carney and I drew Spider-Man for Marvel Comics and uh, you're listening to the amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Yeah, and I'm Marcinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, which still exists thanks to Dan's haranguing, and currently an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Mark, I'm glad we're so full of energy because I think based on that intro, we probably just murdered our guest. <laughs> it's possible, but uh, we you know, drain the life force from him. Succubus. <laughs> well, thanks everybody for joining us for a special Amazing Friends episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and a creator as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for those out there who don't quite understand what they just heard in our bumper... Today, we're talking to none other than Ron Garney, the ongoing artist of Amazing Spider-Man during the, the mid-aughts uh, while Civil War was going on. Uh, we're going to talk to Ron about Civil War and Back in Black and the Iron Spider costume and Spider-Man versus Captain America, etc., etc. Lots of great, crazy moments in Spider-Man history, and Ron was at the pen or the pencils, as you will, for all of them. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's quite a lengthy interview, so uh, let's get right to it. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. All right, Dan. Well, as we said in the introduction, we, we have a very special guest here today. We have uh, artist Ron Garney, who um, was on Amazing Spider-Man during a really interesting era that included the road to Civil War, the actual Civil War event, like the tie-in issues in Amazing Spider-Man, and then uh, Back in Black uh, before... Before he he left the book for one more one more day and everything that followed that we won't get into that right now, uh, but um, you know one of Ron's big accomplishments of course was also the, introducing the Iron Spider costume. He drew Spider Man versus Captain America. Peter's taking off the mask and revealing himself as Spider Man. A lot of huge pivotal moments in the character's history. Ron, thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
<laughs> Excellent. And he's a master he, he's a master of accents too. <laughs> I thought I knew Sean Connery while I was on. Yeah, it's, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Who knew that uh uh Ron Garney was just Sean Connery's pen name? <laughs> yeah. It's gone gone Garnery, Sean Sharon Garnery. <laughs> hey, Ron, but you, yeah, you've had you've had a really long-standing career at Marvel. I, th- I think about more than twenty-five years at least. A lot of different characters that you worked on, and and you know something we we always like to ask our our, our guest is you know what was their introduction to to Marvel comics? Whether it was as a kid, a teenager, in college, you you didn't start reading the comics until you started drawing them, whatever. But um, I guess what was what was kind of that big bang moment for you when it came to Marvel? Well, I I read comics when I was little. Um, and then I forgot all about them in lieu of sports and girls and music and, you know, other distractions. And then I, um, I was working as a bartender at a fancy restaurant and the other bartender I was working with had a comic book and I was out fresh out of college for about a year and, uh, didn't know what I was going to do with my degree in, in graphic design. And, uh, so uh, he had a comic behind the bar, and I looked, picked it up, and it kind of came flooding back to me in that moment because it was a Secret Wars issue and had all the all the heroes and everything, you know, fighting on that planetoid or whatever that the Beyonder put them on, and that was really the moment. I was like, kind of hit me between the eyes because I had forgotten about him for so many years, and uh, you know, I asked him where he got the comic. I uh, said down the street at this little book stop, book uh, bookshop. And, um, so I ran down there after work and, uh, just started picking up all these old comics, you know, all the comics that were out and, and old ones. And I was kind of hooked. It was weird how hooked I got, how quickly. And I, you know, I thought to myself, man, this is something I could maybe make a career out of. I um, mean, you know, because I had a lot of the things involved in it that I always wanted to do. I was really interested in film and storytelling and, photography and composition and you know and the interesting thing about comics is that it incorporates a lot of that so it was sort of all this stuff rolled into one and for me it was like just a kick to be able to sit and draw and make a, a little you know my own little movie even though it wasn't moving or anything it was still sort of a you know it was still storytelling so that's that's sort of what got me really into it and the rest is history I entered the Marvel tryout contest and I didn't win that. Mark Bagley won it, but um, it was a few years later that I got in. Um, I found out Mike Zach lived in the area. Uh, lived like five minutes from me, really, nine minutes. And um, he happened to be the one who drew Secret Wars. And uh, so it was really weird. So I called him up on the phone and he agreed to let me send him some stuff. And and he seemed to think I was pretty good, and he got me in the business in 1989. He brought me to Marvel, so here I am. Do you have a, a first memory of uh, Spider-Man, or do you have a run on the book that you is your favorite? Uh, first, well, I you know, back in the 70s, I read Spider-Man in the late 60s, but, you know, I, I, I can remember stuff as obscure as Spidey super stories, that, you know, with the electric company and... You know, these that came out here and there, but I lived in a very re- remote area, so I didn't have a, a lot of access to stuff other than what my 
mother would bring home or whatever, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I can remember that stuff. I remember a little bit of the Ditko stuff way, way back. But, you know, that's my earliest memories of it because I was reading when I was so young. But then as, you know, it, when I got re- I got into it again because I knew Mike, um, probably Craven's Last Hunt jumps out in my, in my mind, you know. Um, how brilliant that was and, and Jim Madison that, and the mood and the storytelling and the, you know, just the, uh, the noir of it, I thought was brilliant. So you, you, it sounds, you came aboard Marvel in like the, the 1989, you said, and, you know, flash forward, uh, a couple of years and, and your, fir- you got your first credited work on Spider-Man. I think it was issues for 16 and for 17. It was the kind of the tails end of the clone saga with Ben Riley and all that. And, and it was just like a fill-in situation for you. I mean, what were do you remember the circumstances behind you coming coming to those issues as the artist? Are you saying my first credited Spider-Man work or my first credited work? First credited Spider-Man work. Yeah, yeah, because I had been in the business for a few years at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. How did I get that? Uh, trying to remember. Well, I had done Spider-Man as like I was on Moon Knight was my very first. Uh, regular title. The first thing I ever did was J.I. Joe, but then Moon Knight as a regular gig. Spider-Man was in that as a guest shot. I don't know if that, that is the same thing, but um, I got the Spider-Man offer after Captain America, I think. And uh, I was in between doing Captain America and maybe Silver Surfer or something. I was sitting on my hands with with nothing to do for until Surfer was ready for me to jump on board. I think I think that's how it went, and uh, and that's you know I got a call from whoever the editor was at the time, maybe Tom DeFalco or somebody, and asked me if I would do a couple issues, and I said sure. And this was like a pretty wacky time for Marvel too, because it was like right on the cusp of like Heroes Reborn, and you know bringing in like some of the Image guys again. I mean, we're we're. When you were doing these issues, were you aware of some of the bigger things going on behind the scenes, or were you just kind of insulated from that? No, well, I, I was already off cap at that point. Um, yeah. That's right, because you were with Mark Wade, right, on that? Mark Wade, and then uh, we got the call that, you know, it was going back to, you know, the book was being taken over by Liefeld, and Jim Lee was doing the other books, and... Uh, so there was a big stink about that. And then they offered me anything I wanted to do. And then, you know, asking me to stay on, stay with Marvel, and, you know, um, I remember. So that's pretty, I already knew everything that was happening. You know, I think I was already off cap at that point. Right. And, uh, you know, so then I was offered, uh, like I said, I said, I always wanted to be sur- surfer, you know, I thought he was a cool character. And, um, but in between that, I was offered the Spider-Man thing, so I said, yeah, I would do a couple issues for Tom. I think Al Williamson was inking me on that. I think Tom might have written the script even. I don't I don't really remember too much, but it was so long ago. So flash forward even further into the future when you were brought on as the regular artist for Amazing Spider-Man. You know, Mark, in his introduction of you, you know, said you kind of came onto the book in this kind of crazy time to come onto this book. How much of the uh, upcoming events that you would be tackling were laid out for you before you became the regular artist? Not a whole lot. 
Uh, I'm trying to remember. I remember so I had been with DC for a couple of years, and then they came back, and that was the first thing they offered me was Spider-Man, um, which obviously I was really happy about. Um, and I knew that he was going to have the Iron Spider suit, um, but I wasn't sure exactly the direction it was going to go. I mean, it was kind of not a whole lot was laid bare to me. I mean, little bits here and there, I, I, you know. Again, it was so long ago. It was a decade ago at this point. Um, so I, I didn't know a whole ton, just that he was getting a new costume and that it was going to be this, you know, uh, conflict of moral interest with Iron Man and Cap. And, you know, um, so I knew a little bit, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how big it was going to actually get. So, And was there like a lot of communication between the the spider office if you will and then marvel's like broader editorial group when it came to civil war i mean you know i i, I imagine that uh jay michael straczynski was probably at the retreats when these big you know the, the event was getting mapped out but sure. once yeah, the book was it, once the book was in motion i mean how how much were you looped in on what you know Civil War was uh, yeah. going on versus what you were going to be doing in ASM. Well, I, you know, Casada had called me and asked me to do the Spider-Man gig. I mean, you know, and he laid out a little bit of it, but you know, they don't. They tend to, you know, the the artists are just are you know always working. <laughs> you know, it's like they they used to include us in a lot of the retreats and things, and now and they stopped doing that because of you know for a lot of reasons, but um. Uh, so we don't get to hear as much, you know, maybe as we would like. Uh, some some guys would like it. Some guys wouldn't care one way or another. But um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't really privy to a whole lot of that. I mean, I kind of just knew the basics of it, what was going in, what what was going to happen, you know. Um, so I wasn't there, so I can't, I can't really speak to much of that at the retreats or anything. So when you set out to tackle a new character or a new title that you're going to take on, you know, one of the things especially notable in your recent Daredevil run is you have a pretty adaptable style. And I guess I'm curious, where did you go for inspiration for your Spider-Man, and how did you finally land upon the look that you adopted for the book when you took it over? Oh, man, that's a tough question. Um, yeah, adaptable style, I guess. I mean, I'm always – for me, I – uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just try to feel the character. You know, when I did Surfer, I, you know, I tried a different look for that. It was sort of Mobius based, but I wanted to look at him to look very alien and not quite so human because he is an alien. You know, and I wanted him to feel alien. And um, so that's basically how I approach every character. You know, and Daredevil included. And um, Spider Man, it was. Uh, um, with that book, I wanted to be able to draw Peter Parker with a real face, like a, you know, one that people would think, you know, would just identify Spider-Man with. I mean, he has a face, but, you know, I feel like when I drew Peter Parker, he had a real identity to his look, um, as opposed to anything very generic, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I I just wanted to draw it well. I mean, and, and to be honest, perfectly frank... You know, I'd come off DC um, for a couple of years, and uh, that was kind of a little bit of a mess there because I had done JLA, 
I was offered Superman, and I went over there, and they kind of bait and switched, and it was, I ended up doing JLA, which I didn't want to do. And then I did Paint of the Gods, and I was inking my own stuff, and, you know, and uh, I just felt like my drawing, for some whatever reasons, was suffering. And I, you know, with Spider-Man, when he came along, you know, I, I just wanted to draw, you know, every put as much in as I could and make it believable and energetic, you know, and, and exciting. Um, in the very first opening issue I did, you know, there's a chase scene with Spider-Man with a couple of thugs in a car, like an old Monte Carlo or something, I think. And I, and I really wanted it to feel real, you know, and that's, that's I don't know, that's pretty much how I approached it. And if you look at the panels and the setup and the, you know, the storytelling I did, I'm pretty proud of that opening bit, um, you know, for what it's worth. How much leeway were you given on that issue? Cause it is a very visual issue. I, I could imagine you just kind of giving, being given a kind of a carte blanche to kind of have fun with it. Yeah. Well, it was the introduction of the spider iron spider costume, you know, um, you know, Peter's standing on the ledge, and he looks down, he sees the car, and he f- jumps off, not sure if this thing's going to fly or not. And he spreads his arms out and has that webbing that gives him sort of wings or whatever, <laughs> and he's able to soar onto the car and everything. So, I mean, I, you know, yeah, I mean, they pretty much, I mean, I still had to work with Straczynski's script, um, you know, but I tried to break it apart a little bit from what he wrote and, and open it up somewhat so I could put in some more exciting visuals, you know. Um, you know, the writers sometimes have a tough time seeing things visually, I think. And, um, you know, so that's what I try to do. I just try to make it open things up, make it look, you know, visually exciting and have it make sense. Well, well, related to that issue, so obviously, you know, we, we keep talking about the Iron Spider suit. I mean, it, it, it really was a definitive visual change for for spider-man in this era so i mean what how were you approached about the design for this suit you know what notes were you given by editorial or jms i mean what was kind of the genesis of this of this costume and and everything that came with it it was already designed i mean you know i didn't really have a hand in designing it was already designed and i got the designs um straight away when I started doing it. I'm trying to remember whose designs they were. It might have been Casada himself. I mean, Joe, I don't know. You know, um, try, you know. I, I think a lot of people think I designed it, but I, I actually didn't. Uh, maybe Mike Turner did it. Uh, I, I Again, unfortunately, I, it was a long time ago. I don't remember a lot. But, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I was given the designs, and, you know, I... You know, it always changes a little bit with each artistic style, like the way I draw physique or, you know, muscular frame. You know, I have to fit the costume around that myself. You know, so I tried to make it look attractive because I didn't find it particularly appealing at first. So, you know, I tried to give it some sense of, you know, make it look cool and whatever and to have those other mechanical Doc Ock kind of arms, you know, legs pop out of his back, you know, it was a, it was an exercise and frustration at points trying to make that look cool and not clunky and clumsy. But, um, you know, it was pretty much there, uh, you know, and it was just an adjustment figuring out how I was going to make it work. You know, so. One of the things that I like about its introduction so much in that comic is that, like, 
it kind of reads and looks like some like some dork driving their first sports car. Like e- even <laughs> just in like the body language of how he kind of awkwardly approaches it and then right. quickly masters it. Um, sure. I guess I'm curious about your um, method in regards to uh, you know uh, people's posing and 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 how you arrive at the kind of body language that you have. Uh, you mean with him being clumsy in it? Well, I mean, just in general, your method. Do you use models? Do you is that uh, you know? No, I, I actually don't. I, I I'm pretty much just feel it myself. You know, I, I you know when you draw enough, you and you're doing you 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 tend to act these characters out yourself in your head. And you know, I, I'm sure if there was a hidden camera on me, I'd be surprised myself to see how much my body's actually moving when I'm drawing. Just trying to feel the, the language and stuff. Um, you know, I put my head into the into the drawing, you know, as and how it would feel, you know, like I put my own head into the body of the figure I'm drawing almost and try to feel it, you know. And I have a fairly um, deep background in, you know, in physical things like jujitsu and weightlifting and, you know, and martial arts and things. So, you know, I kind of understand how muscles work and things like that. So I tend to... You know, just try to draw the the body language according to what I, you know, what's going on inside the character's head and what the action, you know, that's going on, or the, you know, the context of the scene and things like that. You know, and I just, you know, sometimes, you know, you'd have to trust your instincts. I think that's the biggest thing. Is um, eventually you draw so much, you you know, you just develop these artistic instincts, and you know, and when it feels right, you just you stop and you let it go, and you, but you have to work towards that. You know, and you, you know when it works and when it doesn't. So, do you, well, sorry, you go, Dan. <laughs> do you, you think? Do you think your history with uh, martial arts has kind of uh, uh, led you to seeking out or, or doing work on street level characters like Spider Man and Daredevil? Mm, I just like doing single characters. I don't know if uh, like Surfer was in a street level character. I wouldn't say um, that's true. I wouldn't say Cap is either. You know, I, I, I just like single characters. I, I shine better on those because I, for the very reason I was just giving you actually, is I tend to put my head into the character and feel what that I think that character visually should look like. You know, I, I don't know. And that's why I'm adaptable, I guess, is because I don't, I don't bring one style for, you know, I don't, I try not to have an ego about it and force my style onto every character I come across. I try to let go of that and try to let the character t- dictate to me what it, it wants to be, you know, and, and what it feels. And, you know, so I leave my ego out of it, and, you know. Um, so that's pretty much it, you know. So, I, you know, every character, you know, when they offered me cap, I could, I just felt it. I knew what I, what, I, what visually, what it could feel like, and, you know, and even with the jaw the way the jaw would look and uh, and you know i a lot of people don't realize i actually designed well i didn't do the actual technical work but i designed the captain america logo with the shield shooting across the top of the of the book you know and uh that was all stuff that just came to me so uh, out of inspiration you know so it was kind of like that it's like that with every single character i do you know if i feel inspired by it you know it just comes naturally <clears throat> Well, related to your history with Captain America, how much fun was it for you to do Spider-Man versus Captain America and one of those issues? 
That was that was great. I really enjoyed it. I always feel like you know, like I love Cap and I love Spider Man. You know, I, it, it's funny. I mean, I didn't love Cap as much growing up as as much as I loved Spider Man. You know, and then interestingly, my samples to get into the Marvel were Captain America samples. But I, the samples I worked on for years, a few years, to get good at samples were Spider Man samples. Um, you know, stuff like Mary Jane and Peter Parker just sitting on a couch, you know, in front of a fireplace, just relaxed scenes and then him swinging around the city, just all those kinds of things. But, um, uh, what was your question? <laughs> no, I was just, I just, I mean, that Sorry. the Spider-Man Captain America fight in, I oh, yeah. forget the exact number. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a lot of fun to read. And then when you, when you years later see Civil War in the theaters, I mean, I think they borrowed some. It looks like they borrowed some visual notes from it. I mean, like at least like oh, I just reread the issue recently. I felt like there were some similarities. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overreading. I don't know, but no, I it think just, they, do. they definitely strip my a lot of that stuff. Um, I was looking for it myself, you know. Um, but I think uh, it was just where they were on that tarmac and everything was a little distracting. So you know, a giant man in the background and all that I wasn't able to. <laughs> pick up as much as I'd like to see it again for that reason um, to see if I could, you know, pick up. But I, I, I felt some familiarity there too. You know, um, I think it's all sort of thrown in the soup and then you have a, you know, a different, you know, a, a soup with its own flavor at the end of it with, you know, some, some things thrown in. But um, yeah, I, I, it was a it was a gas to draw it, you know. Again, I wanted the choreography to make sense, and um, I I was never really sold on the idea that Cap could beat Spider Man so 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 easily, you know. I mean, even though Cap is enhanced and he has a super soldier serum, I mean, for me, I'm being perfectly honest when I say. A guy with the speed and agility and reflexes of a spider who can sense things coming before they actually, you know, a punch coming before it happens. I feel like even somebody like Cab isn't going to be able to touch him. But I like the way Straczynski sort of played it in that, you know, it's Cap's years of combat training that really gives him the edge. It's not so much his his actual abilities or his, his enhancement, but his combat knowledge, you know, and I think that's, you know, his experience is what gave him the edge. But other than that, I feel like Spider would wipe the floor. You know, <laughs> you know Spider-Man could lift, what, 10 tons or something, and Cap can lift like a ton or, you know. I mean, I don't think people realize if we were talking real realism here, the difference between 10 tons and one or two tons. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I just feel like it would it wouldn't be as much of a contest as people think, but... Yeah, who knows? Well, in so. the in the movie, he does catch uh, Winter Soldier's punch without even like thinking about it. Right, right. Winter Soldier's kind of like, yeah, that was a great spot, you know, where you know Peter looks at it, looks at it all quizzically, you know, and makes some comment, and and uh, yeah, the Winter Soldier's kind of like, what the hell, you know. <laughs> so that's uh, about it, though. You know, it's like I love that. That's the thing I always loved about old Marvel comics is just. When these characters get to meet for the first time on the street, you know, you want to know who, who's who's going to kick whose butt, you know, and how how awestruck the other awe 
the other awesome character is over, like, you know, if Spider-Man runs into Daredevil or, or Submariner or whatever, how awestruck the Submariner would be at Spider-Man's abilities. Those are the things that always, I always got a kick out of, you know, and pitting these guys against each other and see, you know, who would come out on top through their wits and their intelligence and their intelligence and their abilities, you know, it was always fascinating to me. So I think that's kind of why I got hooked back into it right away, even, you know, in secret wars, because in secret wars here, they are all on a planet. It's every, you know, fanboy's dream, you know, all these little action figures pitted against each other, sort of the beyonder treat them like action figures, like a little kid. And then there was Spider-Man in the background who kind of had this edge on, you know, I mean, it was just, I just like the way that character always, Spider-Man always seemed to have an edge on everyone. And, you know, somehow, I don't know. Hmm. Always liked him for that reason. Like I was, you know, I was pictured Spider-Man taking on the Hulk and doing pretty well, you know, just because of how fast he is and how he's so untouchable. We all want to be a character that nobody can touch, you know. And here's a Here's a character who, you know, can sense things coming. You know, before they happen. So how are you going to touch him? You know? So I don't know. Well, he did beat Fire Lord <laughs> in that yes. one. That's, that <laughs> the, That's the, the, so the, awesome, you know? I mean, it's great. <laughs> Spider-Man is a badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know. He's a teenage kid. He's like, that's what's so great. You know, Iron Man, you know, in the movie, Tony Stark's awestruck with him. And it, I love the scene where. He's in his room and he pulls up that screen and he shows him, shows Peter Parker catching a car and and just gently putting it down and and Iron Man, you know, being sort of awestruck by this kid, you know, and it's really cool. So, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, other big moments, you know, Steve McNiven got to do the the big grand reveal of Spider-Man. Yeah, that was a little miffed, not miffed, but I thought it was funny how... You know, my last page shows I'm about to take the mask off, you know, but the actual unveiling came in Steve's issue. And then in the next issue, Spider-Man shows him standing there without the mask on. So um, I, I would love to have been the guy who actually, you know, had the unmasking. Well, you did get to do it in the pages sure. of Amazing Spider-Man. So, uh, I mean, what was it like to draw that moment? What did you think about it going into it? Oh, uh, wow. You know, I just... <sighs> I just, I didn't know what to think. I was like, how, how is this going to, you know, you always wonder how it's going to play out. I mean, is there, is it even a point to him wearing it anymore? You know, I mean, um, so, you, you know, there's always ramifications. How's Jay Jonah Jameson going to take it? And, you know, all these things kind of enter your, enter your brain. Um, but yeah, I mean, all those things just sort of, cross your mind but you just draw it and then see see what the effects are later and, and then one more day happens yeah <laughs> none of it matters and then weird, weirdly enough that moment was one one of only two moments where you got to do the red and blue suit during your time on the book yeah yeah i was yeah after that well no there was uh, i think back in black for opening parts of that he was in the red and blue suit and then he gets pissed about Ant Man, goes and finds the the Venom suit. He had hidden it on a building somewhere. So like like you do. The, lo- the yeah. longest lasting webbing of all time. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, well, his webbing dissipated at that point or was it permanent? 
Uh, I think it was dissipated after an hour, but we'll we'll let it go. Still, it was still like that. It was still yeah. okay. No prize better than I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a process question for you, Ron. Uh, you know, I've read that you do about a page a day. Um, you read such insanity. Um, I don't know, Dan. Where do we read that? I've, I've read it in, in like at least an interview or two. Is that not true? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, well, I would say it, it may average out to about that. Um, you know, it just depends on what's on the page because, you know, it, if that were the case, I'd be doing 365 pages a year and I'd be, you know, swimming in, in moolah, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, life happens and things happen. So, you know, sometimes you know, today I had to pick up my son from basketball camp and he wants to go. You know, go to the park or go, go get an ice cream. You know, things happen. Um, you know, I have to be a dad first, and um, you know, uh, and other things. You know, I was I had a jujitsu school that I owned for five years, six years, um, and I would teach jujitsu, and you know, so um, you know, sometimes I, I'm not as prolific as I'd like to be, but. When I sit down and I don't have any distractions, I can probably do about a page a day. You know, that's being totally honest. Um, during the Spider-Man run, I was working on I Am Legend in the movie, and uh, so I would go to New York. <laughs> I don't even know how the hell I did it. I was going to New York during the week, coming home at night, and working on Spider-Man, and on the weekends, and working on that movie all at one, you know, all at the same time. And I, I look back and I. I just think I must have been crazy. I don't know how I did it. So, <clears throat> and you did now, you did the covers as well. You, that that was yeah. handed off to someone. No, I wanted to do all of it. You know, I wanted to do the covers, and I don't like you know only if I have to. I don't like handing off covers. You know, I want the book to be me, and I, I get really aggravated when they I have to even put fill-ins in now. Now everything is. Oh, we got to get, you know, schedule this, schedule that. We need fill-ins. We need eight pages done by this guy. Blah, 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 blah. It's not like the old days where I could do, you know, 10-ish straight issues or whatever, you know. And But but it's, it's just the nature of the beast. It's nobody's fault, you know. It's just – but I can't I, – I really – like even on Daredevil, you know, the fact that there's these fill-in issues, like, you know, I was plugging along pretty, pretty good into the first five issues. But then, you know, they wanted – you know, they wanted me to do the point one issue, and then we got to do these covers right in the middle of your momentum, in the middle of an issue, and you know, and before you know it, you know, then the holidays come, and you have to spend time with the family, and before you know it, you're behind the eight ball, or the scripts weren't in, you know, or you know, there's always reasons, but it's frustrating because I would like to do straight through, you know, a whole years worth or what have you without that being interrupted because I feel like it waters down my legacy on it. You know, um, thankfully with Spider-Man, I got to do a lot. I think I did 11 or 12 issues straight or maybe with one or two fill-ins, one fill-in. So I was pretty happy about that. Now look at Mark Bagley, you know, jeez. (laughs) Well, I don't think anybody works faster than him. That's just like, (laughs) sure. He's he's very dis. We've I've talked with him about it. We you know we're both fairly disciplined about it. I mean he's probably uh, you know I don't know if he had the other things going on like I had with the martial arts and stuff with him. But um, you know I know he gets up at seven o'clock every day and 
works till seven at night. And, you know, for me, it was more like an eight to five or six, you know, eight to five. And then I'd work out or, or do whatever. And then maybe try to get in some time at night. But, you know, as you get older, it gets harder and harder. You, get, you know, it's hard to sit. It's harder and harder to sit. You know, it's, it's not healthy either. You know, I mean, part of the reason I don't do that is because it's not healthy. I, I just don't want to sit. It's not good for your body. It's not good for your mind. You know, I mean, you become a a lifeless husk. <laughs> a life force being sucked into the pages. <clears throat> so I choose not to do that. That's okay because we feed on that stuff. Hey, <laughs> you speak guys for yourself. <laughs> your mouths and the life force just comes into you from the stuff we put into the pages. That sounds way worse <laughs> coming from you. <laughs> you guys don't even read you just hold the books over your face and then white light shoots out of the pages into your mouths <laughs> succubuses you you comic book fans are succubuses draining our life forces can i commission you to draw this scenario <laughs> well it's kind of what it looks like you're doing in your in your uh profile pic here uh, <laughs> It's like the lights going in through the megaphone, sucking the life force of creators away. <laughs> Give me more. And then when it's not, and then when the drawing isn't as good that month or the writing isn't as good that month, you guys get so mad because the life force didn't taste as sweet this month. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a, you inconsistent <laughs> bastards. Get a, Get with the program and stop being a hack and give me more of your delicious life force. <laughs> Ron, I have to say I love your Ron's bad reviews thing you do on Twitter. <laughs> you saw that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm going to do the next one I'm going to do is a retro. Volume two is going to be a retro one of one. I, you know, I'll find an old one. And I'm going to go through that because it just cracked me up when I read some of the things these guys write. They're so, they're just so, so like, you know, like, you know, indignant about it if they don't like it. You know, it's just hilarious. <laughs> How dare you not be as good as Jason Latour, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, in, in in the vein of sucking the life force out of things, I'm gonna try and transition to Stan. So uh, <laughs> we'll see we'll see how I do. Um, We're running the gamut of things here. Back in black. Um, <laughs> so you know, one thing I always remember when I when I was picking up the book at that time, it was like a, it, the whole thing coincided with the release of. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, which is obviously marketed very heavily around the black costume. So um, with that, that's, actually, that's actually on my television right this second. Sandman, oh. Sandman is walking down the street and Sand's coming out of his ear right now. Police I, just I just did it for my daughter. Uh, <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, talking of like, you know, kind of larger forces dictating where things are going in comics. I mean, how much of, of Back in Black was actually originally visually designed to be like a nod to the movie? I mean, like it, we, we see this a lot, obviously, you know, Spider-Man fights Electro in the movie and he has an Electro story that month. So, I mean, was it like, 
that like you know the editors at Marvel kind of sit down and be like, all right, he's going to be in the black costume in the movie. We got to do a black costume story. Figure it uh, out. I don't know if that one was as much. It was I think that might have been just more serendipitous than actual you know actual real conscious effort, um, as I recall. But there have been, uh, you know, like with Daredevil, you know, it definitely uh, was a push to make it dark again to reflect the television series. Um, but with the back in black, you know, uh, run, I don't know if it was as deliberate as much as it was just favorable timing, you know, um, or unfavorable, depending on your point of view. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting about that is, um, I always have to bring this up, I guess. Um, but, um, the, uh, the Kingpin story was actually my story. I actually wrote that to Axel, uh, and and it got used. So that was, that was fun for me. Well, anybody that went and saw the Spider-Man three movie and then picked up this book was in for a real shock. (laughs) Uh, because Spider-Man was a wholly violent, you know, character, unlike he had been for quite a while. Um, you know, to that point, you mentioned uh, Craven's Last Hunt earlier. Um, many issues of this, to me at least, are reminiscent of Craven's Last Hunt. There's especially there's a scene in the sewer where there's rats crawling all over one of the men that Spider-Man is like torturing. Um, did you reach back to that series to find inspiration for this dark chapter of Spider-Man's life? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say reach back, but I was definitely it was definitely on my mind while I was drawing it for sure. Um, you know, and when you're, I'm trying to think if I actually pulled that book out or not. I might have. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I did. I tend not to do that. I try not to look at other guys' work, even you know. Um, sometimes, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, there's I have my influences and things like that, but I try not to deliberately draw from someone else's stuff. You know, let it just come come out on its own. But I probably did. I, I, again, I don't remember, but I know I do remember being on my mind in that scene in particular where he's hanging upside down um, and thinking that it had a feel, that Craven's Less Hunt feel to it for sure. Now, obviously that fight with the Kingpin, and, and I didn't realize that this was, that's, this that's was the your bit pitch. That actually, that's the bit I actually came up with in, in my email. Actually, was that that. That was the story. I, I said, "Hey, hey, guys, what if you know the kingpin uh, Peter just gets the shit? Be- I mean, uh, the kingpin gets the shit beat out of him by Peter, you know? Because if it were me, you know, because uh, this alludes back to what I was saying to you before about Spider-Man being so unbeatable. I, and I made the point that, that if Spider-Man actually fought the kingpin, he would he could crush him instantly." You know, I always made, you know, that's the point, like I was making to you guys before. It's like, like with Captain America, even. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, so there wouldn't even be a contest. So what if Spider-Man, and I said, what if Spider-Man just snuck into prison, just beat the absolute crap out of of Kingpin in the prison in front of all the inmates? And it ruined Kingpin's reputation. He's no longer a badass because he got his ass kicked in front of all the, because that's a big deal for people. You know, especially males, you know, for the most part, once you get beaten, you know, it's like people don't. I know this from being in martial arts, you know, in particular, um, you know, like in jujitsu, if you get, you know, if you can, if you get tapped by somebody that, you know, when you're a higher belt and, you know, nobody can tap you out, 
You know, you have this mystique about you that everybody wants to learn from you. Everybody wants to, you know, know your secrets and, you know, but then once you get tapped out by someone or, you know, the, you know, that person no longer has, you know, that as much of an interest because they, they reach that, they reach that, you know, goal. Um, and it's kind of like that in general. And I always thought, you know, in fights in general, and I always thought that, you know, what would happen if Kingpin lost all that to, to Peter, you know? And I said, you know, it could give rise to one of the, you know, one of the inmates, you know, could become a character down the road. I don't know, I don't know if they ever did that, um, you know, after he saw what happened to the Kingpin. And, um, you know, so he thinks he can take on the Kingpin, one of these inmates or whatever. But anyways, you know, that's that's where that all started. <clears throat> so. And um, and was there like once you got the green light to do this story, I mean, in terms of how you kind of blocked it out visually, I mean, what, what, you know, were you what were you like looking to achieve with that? I mean, this besides, you know, just the, just the angry, you know, I didn't I wanted to take out Peter's, you know, well, uh, Straczynski did, too. I mean, I, you know, interesting. I've, ne- I've never spoken to Straczynski. Not once on the whole run did I get an email from him or anything but um never spoken to the guy but he had similar just judging from what i was reading he had similar ideas you know and, and it's like at some point you know you can only like spider-man's known for his quips and he's he always trying to keep a sense of humor while, during, during fighting but you know once his aunt gets shot it's like all that goes out the window and he becomes a really dark character and that's really kind of what i wanted to stress you know, when he goes in to beat the crap out of the kingpin, is like he is, he is, you know, this is somebody who's, you know, had enough and he's going to just decimate this motherfucker, you know, excuse my French. This <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much what I wanted to convey. A lot of, a lot of angst and anger and, you know, take him right out of that L and that normal, you know, if he's going to be real, a real character at all, I mean, he's going to have that side to him no matter what. We all do. That dark side just came out. So, well, speaking of Aunt May getting shot, you know, you have this great sequence with these crosshairs. It's a really tense, you know, build up to the moment where she kind of gets caught in the crossfire. Um, can you talk about, I guess, constructing that scene and then the, the moment itself? Uh, you know, what, what were you thinking in terms of what you did want to do and didn't want to do with that moment? Oh boy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, trying to get me back in that moment, drawing that page. Hey, you know, those pages, if I had them in front of me, it'd be easier because when you draw pages, you tend to remember exactly what you're thinking and feeling at the time. But, um, I, you know, it's tough to say. I mean, uh, you know, the, I remember the crosshairs. I think Mary Jane was kind of looking out the window, was she? Yeah, yeah. And then... And then what? Do you guys have that in front of you by any chance? I can get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I have to. But I'm, I'm just trying to remember the sequence of events and what panels were there, and you know, before she gets shot. I know the end of the issue. She kind of looks, and she's got a big red blotch on her gown. And um, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to remember what I was thinking or trying to achieve at that moment other than just make it, you know, pull it off, make it look believable. And so I remember going to this area 
next town over this this motel i took that motel i did do a location shoot for that you know i kind of went to a motel and was looking at how the you know what it would look like you know from a building across the street you know that kind of thing but um that's about all i can remember <clears throat> now ron when when back in black wrapped up was there ever talk about you doing art on one more day or like how was that whole thing broached because i know quesada ended up doing it but were you going to be involved at any point or no i think quesada wanted that to himself i mean i don't know you know i all i know is that um i I don't remember how i knew or how i got told but just that he was going to draw that and then uh what did i do after that i don't know what i did after that to be honest with you um what did I do after Spider-Man? Do you guys know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask. I was I, also going to ask if you. So much, just, I've done so much stuff in my career; it just swims around in my head. I'm trying to put it all into the place. I can't even remember what I did after Spider-Man. Um, oh, it was uh, Wolverine, Weapon at uh, Get Mystique, I think. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. <clears throat> Man, I really had a ball with that. <laughs> I really with, did. That's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Was that um, Jason Aaron or? Yeah, 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 it was. And I decided to go to Enhanced Pencils and I changed my style up again for that. And, you know, and I really had a ball on it. I really it felt like I, I artistically and storytelling wise, I brought myself up for that one, you know. So, well, I mean, considering that. After one more day, Spider-Man went to this, you know, triple shipping, rotating creators thing. I mean, was there, were you ever offered a spot in like the rotating cast of artists or, I mean. No, never, it was never, that was it. I mean, I think, you know, I do think there was this tendency to view my work as sort of old schoolish. You know, I'm, I'm able to do any school, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think, but um, I think they there were other guys that they were talking about after Casada. Maybe was it Marcos Martin? Maybe mm-hmm. mm. so was he on after that? Yeah, briefly. Yeah, yeah. I think he was the guy. You know, and he was he's a great talent. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. So I think, you know, I think they were looking for something fresh and a little bit less old school than my stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I kind of got that feeling about it, you know, um, but it's just speculation, you know, but no, I was never offered again. You know, I, it's not to say I wouldn't want to do Spider-Man again because, you know, as, as time goes on, you tend to, sometimes I want to revisit old characters to try to upgrade how I would draw them. If you were to get another stint with Spider-Man, I mean, do you think you would be able to put a new spin on it? pardon the pun uh in the in the same vein of like what you've done with daredevil or um i mean would you try to go back to the well what you did 10 years ago no i wouldn't go back to the well i wouldn't do that um i would probably try something different um and looking back at some of my old sketches of him uh when i was about to start uh there's a dramatic difference in the way i was drawing him just in a sketchbook he was very spidery looking and very um animated and um uh i'd have to sh- you'd have to see what i was doing there to understand you know a lot of 
why it became what it became too was I had Bill Reinhold inking me, and he was very heavy, heavy inker, um, great inker, great artist, you know, himself. Um, so it, it definitely lended to that. Um, and I had worked with him on Green Arrow for DC and a couple of issues, and he's just a real professional and really, really good 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 uh, artist um so i was lucky to have him but it definitely um added to to it made it, it made its own animal um like like i was saying if you looked at my sketches it was it would have been a little different had i inked them myself so i would definitely do something a little uh, different i wouldn't go back to well and you know i would change because i look back at the stuff and i all i see are the things i could have done better you know um and i was under a you know, I was trying to do a good job and yet be good with the schedule at that time. I was just coming back to Marvel. You know, I'd had a falling out with Marvel earlier for a couple of years earlier. And, you know, they came back and, you know, square, you know, we made amends and, um, you know, so I wanted to do a good job and, you know, and so I was really churning the stuff out. I mean, I, like, like we said, it was like 12 issues straight or maybe with a felon, I think. Um, can't remember exactly, but, um, you know, so I did a lot of work. Um, so now I would definitely approach it differently. I would like to at least do a three issues or something again of some story at some point, or if not, if not more, you know, well, well we would love to see it, but, uh, uh, our final, there's question. just so many great artists now, you know, it's hard to, you know, and I think is Dan Slot still writing that. Um, he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's got a death grip on it. Yeah. When I, when, it's funny, you know, watching him evolve into what he's evolved. I mean, he started out in the art returns department at Marvel, and now he's this big, famous writer. It's it's great to see, I guess. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's got a lot of um, talent that he can pick from, so, you know. Well, uh, I, our final question we like to ask everybody that comes on our show is, uh, uh, what does it mean to you personally that you were an ongoing artist or someone that got to contribute to Amazing Spider-Man and the world of Spider-Man? What does it mean to me that I got to contribute? Yeah, yeah, like personally. Like, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's it's great. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's it's funny you would say that. I mean, I, sometimes it, you know, you don't realize how much you've impacted an industry, basically, I guess. If, I mean, I, that sounds a little bit more lofty than what I mean it to sound. Um, uh, but, you know, just things like, uh, well, like you guys calling me and being so into this story and, you know, what I did on it and, and being part of that lore, and I think it was, you know, just I, you know, little things like uh, there was a cover to a book, and all of our names, all the artists' names were on it. It was a Spider-Man anniversary book or something or issue. Yeah, it's seven hundred. Seven hundred, and it had all our names. My name was pretty prominent on there, you know, and I was really honored by that. You know, it's 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 hard not to be, you know. Um, means a lot you know and it because it validates a lifetime you know i mean it's been since 89 what is this 27 years 28 years close to um 
of my life to this stuff. So it's very validating to feel like, you know, on some level there's a, a bit of your stamp on things, you know, and I, you know, it's weird to have been at Marvel all this time, you know, and, and DC for a couple of years, but mostly Marvel and to be such a, you know, have people consider me such a, you know, sort of a Marvel mainstay at this point. I don't know if that's the right word, mainstay. I don't know what the right word would be. But it's it's pretty cool. You know, it, it's, it's definitely, um, there's a, there's some weight to it for me, um, for sure. <clears throat> Great. Well, uh, Ron, we want to thank you again for coming on the show with us today. That's it. We're done. Jeez. That's it. <laughs> the drinks and the shots and the... <laughs> well, that's for later. Don't tell. Don't tell our audience about that. That's the members-only episode, right, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to pay to see that one to hear that. You could call up Stan Lee and get his members-only jacket, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll do this thing. Stan Lee, I did a few signings with him. <clears throat> that right, was a loaded want- statement. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting character. Uh, But it was great doing this with you guys. Maybe we'll do it again someday. amazing friend. All right, Dan. So, um, how is your life force doing after that, that conversation? I'm just still sucking, you know, like I've got the comics pressed flat against my face and I'm just hoping, you know, for, for their life to flow into me. You know, Dan, I, and I, and I mean this, uh, with all terms of endearment, but you know, whenever we we're about to talk to a creator, I, I always kind of prep myself in terms of not only just knowing their work, but, you know, trying to brace myself for the personality and, and what we're going to be getting into. And I have to say, um, that went the most unexpected ways. I think I could ever say one of our episodes with the creator went, well, I mean, maybe not quite as much as Robbie and his dog, uh, well, that 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 was an uh, that wasn't unexpected in terms of. Um, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is another really great interview. You know, I feel like you know uh, artists are always really interesting to get on because, you know, when you're a writer, I think you're a little more like front facing towards you know audiences and things like that. Although perhaps artists are a little more front facing at conventions, but like, I feel like there's like all manner of variability with some of these artists in terms of uh, their personalities and backgrounds and things like that. But most writers are like writers to the core. They have like, they kind of share that kind of like uh, similar uh, personality, but artists could be, you know, just about any from anywhere. As you and I can relate to Dan. Sure, absolutely. And and, and, and and P.S., we had another artist here who never talked to the writer. Of course, you know, the last time we had that on, we were actually the, the medium for the writer and the artist to talk for the first time. That was during our Superior Foes creative team interview. That does seem to be kind of the, uh, I guess, the standard now, weirdly enough. 
Yeah. Although, again, going back to Robbie and Jason, it did seem like they had a relationship. So I guess it does, it does depend. But um, it does demonstrate, though, that a book, you don't need that uh, a, a good friendship like at DeFalco and Friends uh, for a comic to still be a really good read. And, and those Garney and Straczynski issues prove that, I think. Yeah. You, did you reread them this week? I did. I did. And, and you know, I, I still have some issues with the character turns in Back in Black, but um, I did find myself really enjoying those issues. It, 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 was, it was a great time for the book. And then, you know, we had that one little blip and then another great time for the book with Brand New Day. So um, there you have it, this folks. This one little blip <laughs> that uh, <laughs> will go unnamed, right? A four-issue a four blip. So uh, <laughs> There you go. There you go. <laughs> or really maybe even only like a two-issue blip. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm including other titles. My bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I'm also saying that like truly only the, real, the only really terrible issues are those, are those pivotal last ones. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, any, anyway – <laughs> you can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior T- Spider Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And maybe one of these days we'll cover this issue whose name shall not be said. Um, but, you know, if you do look us up on any of those services, please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing. And we'll definitely be sure to read it on the air. Also, if you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, be sure to email them us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Like, if you have a creator you want us to interview, we'd love to know who you want to hear from, who we haven't interviewed yet. And, of course, you can also call us on our awesome voicemail line, Nine Red Goblin. We haven't gotten a voicemail in a while. We'd love to hear from you guys calling us at nine red goblin yeah or tweet at us with okay to print hashtag and we'll address and read those on the air too right yeah that's always fun too so yeah just keep your comments coming yeah and uh in terms of other social media be sure to check us both out on facebook and subscribe to our brother podcast the ultimate spin to keep up with the adventures of Spider Gwen and Miles Morales, who apparently are going to be kissing in the future, Dan. I am, Stop the I am not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, Dan, because I'm just I'm so grossed out by kissing. Yes, exactly. Right, right. And, uh, you know, on, on that, on, we talked about a members club earlier, but don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk members club. To help support the show, it keeps us going and allows us to do interviews like the one we did today. Mark, uh, you know, what are we doing next week on the show? Absolutely nothing, Dan. (gasps) That's exciting. No, we're going to take a week off. We're going to refuel a bit before the release of Amazing Spider-Man number 16. Uh, So, you know, take time, catch up on some episodes you might have missed, some essentials, some reviews, maybe some other creator interviews. We we have that great one with... uh, Mark Guggenheim from a few weeks back, um, you know, do stuff with our show. Well, if people wanted to follow you, Mark, where would they find you? Uh, well, you could find me at Chasing ASM blog on Twitter, and you can find my writings on SuperiorSpireTalk.com, which includes some reviews and my ongoing list of Spider-Man versus other people's villains. Um, I know it's been a little start-stop lately, guys, but the list is continuing, so stick with it. 
Awesome, Mark. And and same goes for me, superiorspidertalk.com. And if you listen to this and aren't checking out the site, I really you know, want to encourage you. That's really the other half of this whole thing is our site. We've got a lot of great writing on there. And, uh, you know, I'd love to see some of our listeners joining us on the site and commenting on some of the articles. There's a great community and and uh, and some great pieces from some writers that aren't Mark and myself. Uh but there's also our stuff too. And of course you can find me on Twitter at, at Sup Spider Talk. Uh you know, Mark, uh do you remember that time that you had that uh that family reunion in that motel with all the hookers outside? Maybe not a great location, but uh even worse, someone was shot by a sniper from across the street. And, you know, I was thinking the other day and reflecting on all the Uncle Ben stories you've told over the years, and I was kind of amazed that the sniper didn't actually shoot your Uncle Ben. Yeah, well, funny story about that, Dan. Oh, uh, do tell. Um, well, I don't know if you knew, but um, Uncle Ben was actually at one point a howling commando with Nick Fury. Um, no, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, and Dum Dum Duggan, and uh, you know the whole gang. And um, is that how he keeps coming back? He's like Dum Dum Duggan. He's like an android. Yeah, he's an LMD. He's a life model decoy. But beyond that, he was also a trained assassin. Oh. And um, yeah, that 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 terrifying day with the family reunion with the hookers. Um, Uncle Ben, you know, in addition to being a former Howling Commando and a trained sniper, um, he he really had an issue with hookers. Um, you know, he was a moralist, uh, you know, a little bit of a Bible thumper. Again, things we don't know about our uncles, right? Uh, so um, he was not happy that I dared to have such a such a reunion at a cheap hotel, and he, you know, he started firing down upon it and. Um, you know, after the event, I was pretty pissed off at him. I, I took him aside and I was like, Uncle Ben, um, you know, what's what's with what's with killing the hookers? Uh, you spent a lot of time putting together those pigs in a blanket. Yeah, you, you know, pigs in a blanket are my specialty, Dan. You don't you don't that, like I know you're just trying to be funny, but that's actually a legitimate specialty. Um, so, um, you know, as as I'm having this conversation with Uncle Ben, um he starts clutching his chest and he he falls to the ground and he was like, Oh God, I, I think this is it. Uh, I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry for sinning. Uh, I hope I'm forgiven. And don't forget with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Peace out.